0: Welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Ed, for joining me in this conversation. You're pretty adventurous. You just jumped right in here. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Cool. So, you know, you're someone I recently met at Men's Bible Study that I've been enjoying a whole lot, just a really good group of men. And uh, you also are venturing out in a ministry type of thing. What's the name of it, 360? Uh, Engage 360 Ministries. Okay. And it's related to apologetics and leading people in the church to apologetic type of work. Is that right? Uh, It's more,
1: uh, well, it's been developed by apologists, and we actually try not to talk about the apologetics involved in it, but it's it's more concentrating on evangelism. It's centered on with the idea that uh, if if we teach the culture to engage uh, the culture uh, the culture in the gospel in a modern conversation, which we're used to doing, apologists we have a lot of conversations because we talk about why we believe what we believe, and in doing that. A lot of, we have lots of deep conversations with Christians because with Christians, I found out for the first time when I say I answer questions, the reasons why things are the way they are, then they have a half dozen questions that no one has ever answered or addressed or. Or just, they've just been told to. That's not what this Sunday Bible class is focusing on. So if you can just put that to the side, uh, you know, and don't bring it up ever again because we're not going to address it. But it, a lot of they end up having long conversations. Well, same thing with unbelievers. When unbelievers believe, uh, start to uh, understand that it's not a leap of faith we've taken, but a step of faith towards where the evidence seems to be leading, that There is a God The Bible's true Jesus did Die And rise from the dead And Our sins can't be forgiven That we There's reasons why we believe those things Which just Ends up having long conversations And after Doing this for some time Matt Schmidt Who Is the CEO Found And founder He said He's I'm a problem solver And What I'm finding is You know We are just We're just nerds We're apologetic nerds That we want to learn everything we want to teach everything to everybody because we think it's helpful and most people aren't engaged like that the uh he's found that you know if we can get people just to have a spiritual conversation that will eventually lead towards the gospel and the proof in the pudding which is the resurrection which he uh He shows from Acts 2 and Acts 17 when Peter's talking to a bunch of religious people in Acts 2 and Paul's talking to a bunch of pagans in Acts 17. They go about it similarly but they cover different topics but they both end with the proof in the pudding being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Matt's idea was like, okay, if we just teach people how to go and share with ultra-religious people and pagan people or atheists or wherever they're at and give them a sharp gospel that ends it with the proof in the resurrection and teach them how to have these conversations that everyday conversations turn into spiritual conversations we're going to teach these people to engage and from that the one person who meets the mormon will go oh i don't know we've started a conversation i don't know where to take it he's a mormon great here's some mormon stuff you know, and the guy who meets the Jehovah Witness, the guy who meets the Atheist. Everybody's going to have their flavor of a different encounter, and we're going to be a hub and a support system to help that conversation to keep going.
0: So you know, I recently was talking with a, a fellow, met him at the gym, invited him over, and what came up ended up being his objection to Christianity is like what we sometimes refer to as the problem of pain, and I've heard that before and a lot of times it this just kind of recently occurred to me a lot of times it's the pain someone might see in somebody else it's not necessarily the pain they're going through themselves but like why is this loved one suffering and a lot of times it's before death you know it's like how their loved one died and perhaps their loved one was a religious person and then this is how god treats them makes you know at the end of their life Having what seems like senseless suffering, and I think a Bart Ehrman too, um, who is no longer a believer, he's a New Testament scholar, right? But if you, I've heard his story before, and it seems to be related to the same thing. You know, like uh, how do you reconcile a God who's really involved, you know, with us and cares for us, and yet this meaningless type of thing, which suffering can kind of seem meaningless especially if it's in somebody else's life. Um, and I haven't, personally, I haven't um, experienced like a, a a lot of the suffering in my own life that a lot of other people deal with. But for me, you know, it, it what I have experienced felt like I needed that. You know, it feels like, it doesn't make complete sense, but it feels like, I'm so stubborn and hard that I have to be hammered, you know, in order for anything to, to happen. But we don't see that in somebody else's, we don't know someone else's heart, we don't know what they're going through, and especially end-of-life type of suffering can just seem, from the observer's viewpoint, like, you know, why not just take them quickly and easily or, or whatever? But um, you have any thoughts about the problem of pain and how you would respond to a person who has that as an objection to believing and trusting in jesus
1: and lots of responses to that uh the first of which i realize as a philosopher and apologist we hear the uh and we the the we we hear something like that and immediately in our books in the free will defense and the problem of evil. And it's a tech that so technically in philosophy circles, it's called the problem of evil. And then you just start, you know, going to town on it. But then since I've been interacting with people and understanding, you know, there is a way to listen to them and bond. Uh, I think uh, I learned it in different places like Covey, Stevie Covey's thing. So you listen to the information, but you look at the emotion on a person. And then you, you, you know, kind of feedback to them what they've said and the feeling that was associated with it. And then you're really listening to that person. And I found now when I listen to people ask the problem of evil problem of suffering problem of pain question, I have to look at the person and go, okay, are they intellectually asking this question? And then I can go down this philosophical path or, Are they hurting and saying, they may be saying the words of the problem of pain because that's how they've heard it phrased, but they're saying, I'm in so much pain right now. Why am I in so much pain? Why could this possibly even be happening? And then that's not a philosophical answer. That's more of a, I'm just going to mourn with this person and have grief with this person and just be with this person and, you know, see how far that goes because and, and, they're not really They're not ready to have the God's got a plan for this right now And it is part of his bigger solution Of things that you just need to come to grips with They don't want to hear that part Which is long and uh, You know But worth worth considering Because I think that ultimately You know what you're saying There is a purpose to what's going on And some things we We just It's hard to understand Like uh, someone threw that at me well, first, let me say, do you see what I'm saying? There's a,
0: I do see what you're saying, and I think in the situations I'm thinking of, it's more of a philosophical problem, okay. like it's something back in their history, but that was where the road diverged. They had a, maybe a, somewhat of a Christian background, but they went off into rejecting it at that right. point. When, like it's okay, so. Yeah,
1: but I thought it was worth mentioning because, right. you know, when people are, mm-hmm. you know, especially people like me, and we're like, and other people just, they will never, they don't even have an answer. So someone back in my past, uh, and, then, and then you find out people are hiding. They're using that as a shield because they are hurting somewhere, and they really they won't bring it out. Uh, so I think for the philosophical answers like somebody brought job up a long time ago and so i had to delve for a couple of years into job to think through this does seem horrible what happened to job and <laughs> and at the end of the day the short answer there's a couple answers and i'll give you the the what you were hinting on one of our teachers you know he said you know if a child has a very young child two or three year olds has a bone marrow problem uh uh Disease, and they have to extract bone from their spine to try to diagnose and sort and, and get readings. And you can't explain to the kid why you have to do that, and why does the kid submit himself to? And it's only because he loves and trusts his mother or father, and they're going to submit to that process because they trust the individual who's caring for him and and. Sometimes that's the process we have to go through with God to see, you know, he he is going to be there. He's going to move us through it. And there's nothing, there's not quite a way to learn how that happens without going through things sometimes. That God does hold, carry us, and says, trust me, you know, we're going to go through it. And there's no way to know that unless you go through it. On the other hand, what you were saying about learning in the pain, I think Job is with with the, I'll be short, but Job was probably the closest to God that any person on earth at that time was. And God was like, "Well, you really don't know who I am completely, and you're not close enough to me. You think this is who I am, and you're doing these things, but you think it's a medium of exchange. I'm God. That's not how I work. You put me in a box. I'm not in that box." The best place Job could be is closer to God. God knows that. And God's like, well, Job, we're going to go through a journey. So at the end of it, you'll be closer to me than you've ever been. And you'll know me. You'll know my heart. It's going to cause you pain and trauma. And he's like, well, that's partly because of your misunderstanding of
0: who I am. So your answer is, if it's not like the emotional thing, but it's more of the philosophical thing, it's that... There may be some kind of reason, not, and we might not necessarily understand it, but th- that God allows, yeah, the suffering. I, I
1: I think it's part of the the training process, and it is a correction too. Pain is a correction, and you know, but it also exposes some. It, sometimes it exposes where a person's path is with God. You know, if it's you know only uh, my God is a God who only has life good go good for me, and then when it doesn't, oh. Hmm. Yeah. my God may not exist. Then you know.
0: Well, so that's how suffering in my life has seen. Like I could see it. It's needful. Um, but like end of life suffering seems kind of different because it's like this person he's just waiting to die. He's not going to recover. Why can't? Why does the death have to be like that? It's harder to make sense of it because. I guess that you know I guess that doesn't rule out growth or God doing some kind of work in his life or her life, but it just doesn't seem quite the same thing, you know, right, yeah,
1: I mean, and that's what I was thinking, I said, as you were saying, and I'm saying we just don't know how much something somebody has to process something or or you know what it takes for a person to bend their knee at different points mm-hmm. or. And then also, I mean, on the other hand, when people, to the other extreme, when people are just like, there's no need for any of it. Like, people really, people, there's a, there's a, hmm, hmm I forget, oh, because by Paul Copan, there's a bio, there's a book about the evil in the Old Testament. Uh, like, something about, is God genocidal or something? I can't remember the title. So, it's talking about uh, all these things that happen. You know, is God a God of genocide? Is that what was happening in the Old Testament? And though he was talking about wiping out nations and stuff, and there's just people who can't stand it. It's like, he's ordering entire nations, women, children, look how indiscriminate he is right here. But the judge of all the earth is the judge of all the earth. There's a point at which anybody can suffer wrath and judgment, and God's like, yep, that's, that's what you're going through right now. That's what I've decreed. This is happening This is an evil nation And I'm wiping them off the earth now I've given this much time to repent I've given them this t- time to recover They have not And I'm going to judge them through another nation He's done that through Israel He's done that And there's a point where you're like well, he, He's the judge of all the earth He's decided it's, it's time The hammer's coming down And because you don't like it Because you would not have A person, you know, arguing against God Would not have done it that way it, Now it's evil but and so there's, but there's a point, and so yeah. it, so when it goes back to an individual, if we're not in hell yet, we still have a chance to repent and be in heaven. And up to that time, whatever we're going through might be a constant wake up call. But then someone might say, "Well, what about the believer who's been faithful and this, that, and the other?" And then I'm like, "Well, I, I still don't know what God's doing in their life. I don't know what the internal thing is." Or, going
0: on. or infants, children, you know, these that we yeah. Yeah, and that's, consider innocent. And of the that's
1: evil. another thing is, is why so much evil, which is another part of the, I guess, the, the theodicy of the defense. So there's defending God and there's, you know, providing at least some type of reasonable explanation. And some things... And people reject God because it's just there's just no call for this. There's just too much, like the suffering of infants, the suffering of a deer, and that's that's like in philosophical arguments. The deer that gets caught in a in a tree, and then lightning hits it. What, what's the purpose of all that? And you're like, I don't know, man. But who's to say on the other side, God isn't holding back more evil that could be mm-hmm. displayed. You know, and some of it is our choices, some of it's natural evil, and it gets divided, and there's arguments for everything, but it then it comes down to once you know once the fall happened, once the free will defense of evil happened, you know God has to allow things to play out as they are when it comes to our choices, but how why and how much natural evil the other the other side of it is that how much is he holding back how much how much worse could this be? You right. Know, there, is a, there is a thing called hell, and that's going to be bad for everyone who's there. How much is getting held back now? How many times have I, I know that I was saved from something more horrible that mm-hmm. could have happened. And
0: there seems to be like after, you know, biblically after the fall, there was this pronouncement, curse upon the serpent, curse upon the earth. Um, the woman's will have anguish and, Childbearing, childbearing, work and, will now be raising. by the
1: sweat of our brow. Which, which, yeah. which was, which is interesting. What was work like before? If we had to do the same work, but it wasn't by the sweat of our brow.
0: Well, uh, weeds and stuff is referred to. So maybe yeah, just yeah. the frustrations of, right. of work. Um, but but I wonder about that. If like, is that for our sake? You know that those things are pronounced. Or is it um, a punishment, or 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 what? You know, I, th- I thought that, you know the punishment was going to be death, and so to dust we return. But um, you know, I guess this is related. Like, could it be worse? Like, is this for our for us in some way, and it's needed? Um, so I don't know.
1: But. I was just thinking about that the other day. Like the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it seems so, like, just, ah, what is that? Oh, something. Oh, now we know. And it's like, maybe all this stuff is that we now know evil. This is how bad it can get. Every piece of evil, and what is evil except the, the opposite of whatever God's plans is. That is what evil is. If God has a design for good, a design for... Uh, you know the growth of a plant, the growth of our bodies. Anything that parts from that is a deterioration or departure. Uh, that's evil. So it's destructive, in other words. Yeah, yeah, destructive. Sorry. Completely going the different way, or, or uh, like it's it's like darkness and light. Darkness doesn't exist on its own. It's the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. That is what evil is. Evil is the. Can't think of the word. Is the. Uh, it starts with a p but i it's not coming to my head but it's the it's the deformity and damage of whatever a good design is
0: Oh, perverseness sir yeah yeah uh perverse
1: it's uh i'll think of it okay. sometime but it it just means a a diminishing of um man i can't think of that word but it's so in all that the the weeds the thorns the design got had plan for us to live without all this extra stress and fighting against destruction now now it's here and now we can't get rid of it but to what i was trying to say is now we do have a knowledge of evil we had the knowledge of good before now it's the good and evil here's all the evil and i think it's it's a constant grind to try to work against Man's evil, natural evil, natural disasters, you know, and I think in the New Testament it says, you know, the creation is mourning for its, you know, recreation, its, its final wiping away of this too. It's like, yeah, we missed it all. That's how important we are. Adam, man, the crown of God's creation, because we fell, everything went with it. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you know you you talked about what you believe and then why that that's kind of a part of this whole thing that you're you're into um and you kind of gave a little summary of what you believe you know about forgiveness of sin, jesus' death and resurrection, and so forth, so how would you give a summary for the why like what's this if you could put in summary form? The reason for your confidence in the Christian faith—how um, would you put that, or what is it—the the reason of your confidence?
1: I think it comes from a lot of things. Like it's very, it's very linear for me. Where I ended up understanding that I would defend and come to know five things, and and there's things beyond that. But I think it was it's most Some philosophers, they put it in 12 steps. That's as low as they can get it because then they're being very precise. But I came to discover if we could understand and know that there are things that are true in this world. So just defending the concept of truth. And maybe that's talking about knowledge and understanding that we could know things. And that comes into defending other types of things that do we have minds that can... Think about this reality and understand some things are true, some things are not true. That's a battleground right now that goes on in the world. People are arguing about the, you know, is there anything such as absolute objective truth?
0: Yeah, I think the common person though isn't yeah. there. You know, they kind right. of understand it. Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, but I'm just setting the foundation that. Okay. Like, so I go boom, I'm ratchet strapped. Like if it was a ratchet strap, you know, you're 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 bringing it down, or maybe it's a foundational thing. I said, okay, that's there. There's definitely truth. The next thing was uh, sorting out, and this is kind of my walk, because I was a general Christian, I think, cafeteria Christian, Catholic, and then when I started counting these people who had answers, this is how I got into it. And when I got confused, I would always go back to this one, that there is a God, and and from. My basis for that was kind of philosophical combined with the scientific evidence, which is we have a world. There's something here. Philosophically, if there was a time that there was ever nothing, nothing at all, no God, no forces, no there would still be nothing. Nothing can't nothing's coming from nothing. And so I'm like, okay, we have something. So something is responsible for all this. And it can't be matter. Science is Time, matter, and space didn't always exist, and neither did the laws of physics. I'm like, well, okay, so it's not the universe. Whatever it is, is outside the universe, it's beyond time and space, it has power, and it has personal being, and that's another philosophical argument, but it takes a personal decision to get the universe going. There's no infinite clock that could get it going from a singularity. It just doesn't make sense. So I'm like, okay, there's a God out there there is there is a god and every time i'm going through all this stuff thought i think every time i was in school and i got confused i'm like am i just believing a story a hocus pocus magic no there's a god okay okay and then the next question is did that god reach out and talk to anybody did he send a message and then after that okay you got to look at everybody who claims that god spoke to them and one of the things i started realizing is If God actually did, there is a God, he would have to give supernatural evidence to whichever book or religion that would claim that. Otherwise, it's just men playing tricks on other men. There's got to be some supernatural facet to it. And the prophecies of the Old Testament are fascinating, uh, even to the point of predicting the rise and fall of Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire, like, Precisely how it Unfolded in Daniel And you're like That is so interesting So that That gets your attention And then of course The the claims of Jesus The resurrection of Jesus There's nothing else That explains What's going on Behind the resurrection And that's its own very long topic. But you get to though, you put those two things together, you're like, okay, I've ruled out all the other things. It is the Bible, the Christian Bible that God did work through. And then after that, understanding who Jesus is and, and what the gospel really is and how it's unique and different than all the other religions, that it actually speaks to what seems to be the human problem, the human nature, the human state. It, it names it accurately and then it, it provides a solution unlike all the other religions so it's just unique but i would say i came through that spectrum and then studied got a master's degree in studying that spectrum and so each part of those can be unfolded further but it it it's i think it's a place i take people through to help them understand because people want to fight in any which way they do want to fight some people just want to have the truth fight and spin their wheels there until they realize it's not going to work. And then there's the, is there a God, is there not a God? Is the Bible from him, or is it some other religious book? And now on that plane, I've come to be satisfied with all the pointers and all the evidence in all those areas that lead me to the cl- conclusion that Jesus really was a person. He is who he said he was, and the proof was in the resurrection, and whatever he says after that
0: is golden. Okay. You know, speaking of the prophecies, so you got the prophecies, but they they don't seem to be like the same type of thing as we kind of think of prophecies. Like we tend to think this and that's going to happen. And Not then, your Yeah, and then this and that happens. But like in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, where he just over and over again refers to, and this fulfilled this, and this fulfilled that. It seems like he's thinking of it kind of differently, like to, the word "fulfill," like filling up or giving meaning to something, instead of like, well, there's a prophecy, and here's exactly what it was referring to, and it just works out exactly like it was prophesied. Because if you go, if you look at his references, you go back and look at them, it looks like oh, that doesn't seem like it's talking about Jesus. It seems like it's talking about something else, and he's using it. Right, yeah. So are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. So there's
1: like, uh, I mean, people dump statistics and stuff. And then it's like, if you just had eight clear prophecies, that's beyond the pale of being able to be fulfilled from, like it doesn't make any sense that anyone would fulfill them. Just eight. (laughs) And then there's... Uh, there's like, uh, depending on how loose you want to be There's hundreds of prophecies And then you're like, okay, I kind of Where? So I don't center on those prophecies There are some like, are you familiar with Isaiah
0: 53? Um, you, Yeah, yeah But, but what 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 bring? Uh, what so, are you referring to? In so Isaiah, Isaiah 53 talks about suffering servant? Yeah, the suffering, surge, uh, yeah, servant?
1: The suffering okay. servant So that's like, you know It's so It's so picture of Jesus that the Jews really don't even like to talk about that 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 chapter. They're just like, we're not gonna teach that today. Oh, we're at Isaiah 53, let's just go to Isaiah, you know, 57 or something when it stops talking about it. Because it seems those those are the passages you like. Okay, who else are they talking about? Who else? What else description talks about, you know, the Christian faith? But I understand there are there are prophecies I wouldn't Yeah. It and then the, the thing about there's I guess explanations where yeah, these, these authors can be loose with, with the scriptures in the sense of, you know, interpreting it the way they see it. And Paul does that too, where he'll take so, he'll lift something and then it's this interpretation and, and I mean it's a teaching off of a, a testament. And sometimes we don't know how it's supposed to be fulfilled. Like the Old Testament did conceal the who exactly there was some concealing of how God's plan was going to go. Like, I think from the Old Testament, we would have thought to the end of time we're going to be sacrificing lambs and bulls and cattle,s and and in Hebrews it's saying now it was just a shadow of what the real fulfillment was supposed to be. It was pointing towards, and you're like, okay. I mean, I I, I remember when I was coming to a clarity on this and going through Hebrews, I'm going, okay, all this stuff really is. Okay, it, it does point towards. It does seem to be, you know, this was just always, you know, uh, like an earnest. The Old Testament was an earnest for what was actually going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. So, yeah, I think, and I'm not going to criticize Matthew and by the movement of the Holy Spirit of what he was saying. And, and it's just like, yeah, for some people, that's too, it's too light a bar. But then once you, once you come to other things. Like, like I thought. Like I told you, what was most incredible to me was the accurately really predicting the Alexander the Great and then the forming of the Roman Empire from his four generals to two to the you know, like, you know, and the order of the kingdoms that would come before that. That's like, okay, who can do that? How can that
0: be done? So, when you, as far as you're coming into Christianity, so you had a, a Christian background. But then, when it began to, when it got real with you and personal, was it just a reasoning through things like this, or was there some kind of a conversion experience, or like what kind of brought you into like a real relationship with God? I think the the reasoning process is like, hey, I
1: I, I describe it like it's like thinking you're thinking about star wars in some way and then one day going oh my gosh there is a force and i could be a jedi it was like that i was like okay christian christian oh my gosh oh my gosh this stuff is real there is a god and then so it was just taking it as true now like living like it's true like talking to people about it but then it took time to move going through the Psalms and Proverbs seriously and God speaking about himself and going, Oh yeah, he's he's worthy of worship. Okay. I'm not used to that. I'm used to just showing up and just kinda of being present. But then I'm like, oh he's worship. Oh, we gotta oh we have to like I have to really re recraft how I think about things and that there's a person who loves me. And then I think I had to go through Suffering actually to start to get in touch with the emotional part of Christianity to know, oh my gosh, like I'm going through hard spots. And then I started, I was a drummer for the church, but I never listened to the words. I was just always practicing the music. And then when I was going through my hard part, uh, I started listening to the words. And I was like, and then I can be sobbing and stuff because I can't get through a Christian song now because now it's hitting my heart. I already knew it was true, but what that meant to me in in a walk where I'm suffering, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I I do have this caregiver, this this lover of me in my life who will get me through this part. Oh, this is all true, and now I'm looking at the emotional part to go okay, and then so it took time for it to all They it was the longest lost long, the longest distance between the head and the heart. So it it took, you know, just living life with it for it to start, you know, understanding where these helpful uh, ideas and phrases about just God moving you through things, you know, it had to hit.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, when you're trying to help someone else, like let's say a lost person, an outsider to the faith, you know, um, are you using... What's your main way of pr- approaching them with the apologetics, or, um, or I think maybe you refer to apologetics being kind of more useful for the Christian, perhaps, um, who already just needs reasons, <clears throat> encouragement, and so forth, or.
1: Um, it kind of depends on the person. There are people who, who listen to me because they've not heard heard or thought of anything like like I'm talking about. But at other times, sometimes it's just. I, it's it's a, such a spectrum. Sometimes it's anything between, you know, a smile, a glass of water, a thoughtful, uh, you know, donation or just listening to the person to see, oh, this guy's a pretty nice guy. To listening to people. And if I want to get into conversations, I think the last conversation I had was with a bunch of soccer buddies and something came up that was somewhat spiritual and I'm like, okay, I can just let this go by, or I can go. You know what? What about what about this? When you just throw in with them, not get preachy, but take the chance. Somebody brought it up. I think uh, I can't even remember what the conversation was, but it was somewhat spiritual or something. And one guy, he he ended up getting on his soapbox in a negative way. And then I'm like, well, I can let it go. But we're all this is the second person who's. Jumped on the topic. I'm like, I can be the third person, and I get to talk. So I'm like, yeah, I'll jump on it. And then I, you know, I had some pushback, and and at that time, I was just talking about uh, the nature of truth because this person was like, oh, these religious people all think they're right, and they got to convert everybody, and you know, it's just their way or the highway. And I was like, hold up, man, let me let me let me ask you this. I said, let's put that aside for a minute, but. I think this is, I said, so what if there is no God, really? I took it back to this side. What if there is no God, really? Isn't that truth true for everyone, whether they're religious or not? If there really is no God, wouldn't that be something that applies to everyone completely and not just you or an atheist? I said, said, so you got to take it easy on these guys because that's how truth works. If it really is true, there is no God, then it works like that for everybody. So if these people are religious and they really think there is a God and this is the way he saves, they believe that's true for everybody because that's just how truth works. And he's like, he came back a little, he's like, okay. He had no pushback because I think that's the way truth does work. Mm -hmm. Stop getting mad at people who were just trying to implement what they believe their understanding is. And then that went for a few rounds, and finally, the same guy ended it. He was like, okay, we got to move on. We can't – I don't want to talk about this stuff anymore. And then we just all let it it – But in that time, when I had that type of answer, what happens is people who are listening – I was talking to him, but I was talking to the crowd in general. The people who are listening – get to a deeper level like oh it's it's thinking about some things here he's like okay but i've so the next person will be like okay but i've wondered about this and then it goes on a topic like i said they have a question about something that nobody's really addressed and now we get into that a little bit so you kind of just you have to read the room
0: right are you familiar with alvin plantinga yeah so um i really appreciate him and he um well he talks about how apologetics is um helpful for Christians because like their faith is being attacked and they need to have a reason for knowing that their faith is reasonable. But and for but for, for non-Christians, it doesn't seem to be, like he doesn't think it's enough to really give them that type of confidence that really brings them in. That seems to be, in his opinion, that's kind of more of a God-given thing, that God changes the heart, I think, is how he would think. And he gives them that faith. But I can see how People might not even be willing to consider Christianity because they got this block in their head. It's the Easter Bunny. It's
1: Santa Claus. It's just that ridiculous.
0: And it yeah, and it seems like the things you're doing, like that example, can just cause people to think. And it just who knows what might happen if someone just right considers things and gives
1: and I and I think yeah, I think God is definitely he's always prior in the person who's not a believer he's he's probably moving in us at the same time probably I know he's moving in us at the same time and if anything we gotta listen to the voice that says so I found there's types of people who are truthers and then there's people who are lovers and and I've heard the advice has been if you're a lover sometimes go towards the truth more err on just providing more truth because yeah. you're already doing a good job loving on them yeah. and the truthers why don't you love on them for a while? If your first instinct is to answer them, why don't you love on them first? Just right. choose choose that every time, and the truth's coming out anyway. You just pick the love part, and you'll do better. Right. So, uh, and to the end, but then there's people who, uh, like, there's, there's examples of people who come to faith do these stuff, like C.S. Lewis and, and Lee Strobel, mm-hmm. and C.S. Lewis' story was, uh, uh are you familiar with one of the one of the reasons he came to faith? There was two major reasons. One was the moral argument, just the, okay, the right. idea that there's this good standard that we have, and he's like, well, wh- where's it coming from? If it's just based on you, then I can do whatever I want. If it's based on society, it can change. But if there's some standard by which we're measuring everything from, the standard has to be coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he would famously say... You don't know what a crooked line looks like until you've seen a straight line. Mm-hmm. You know It's hard to judge it. But, but he also came because uh, uh, J. he was friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien's like, you've got to examine your, your materialism, atheism. It doesn't make sense, man. It's not going to add up. And he's got this line, and he says it different ways in different places in, in miracles. And he's basically saying, uh, because if atheism's true... The way we think, our reasoning, our conscious, our spirit, is not acting on our body. Because there is no spirit in atheism. There is no material. There's only your body. And he's like, so you're just reacting. There was no computer language back then, but it would be more that we're a hard drive put together by nature. And we're running a program based on how we're nurtured. We didn't choose How we were put together And we didn't choose the environment we're in And to atheism material There's no chooser If there's no chooser There's no reasoning There's no moral culpability And there's no I'm going to decide what's true or not You're telling me it's just a chemical process Going off in my head And I have no control of it at all Right And he says Now you've just given me a reason For why reason does not
0: exist Right
1: And that sir Is unreasonable
0: That's what Tolkien said?
1: That's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, okay. He said, and that there is is unreasonable. Okay. So based on that evidence, he's like, there's got to be a solution to this, and that solution does involve a free will in me, and that free will's also got to come from somewhere, a free will giver who has, has, has designed us that way. That was his beginning of his walk towards theism, which is, you know, okay, there's something. It's more than this, you know, and that right. was his divide. But for Lee Strobel, it was just the evidence of the resurrection, which is right. a total different way of coming. That's an evidential first and backing into, oh, if Jesus is this person and he claimed to be God, that there is a God, the Old Testament is from him. He, he, he came backwards from the resurrection first. Right. C.S. Lewis went from, okay, I think there's a God. Now, now where, where is he in this world? Right. So
0: I know it's pretty chilly in here. Are you in jacket right then? I'm okay. Okay. Um,
1: I'll heat up too fast with all this thinking.
0: So. But, okay.
1: And, and one little bit about how I get into things. And sometimes you have to listen. Like this is one of the things that Engage 360 is concentrating on. We're actually, to go back to them for one minute to talk to your question. Uh, the reason we, we focused on evangelism more than apologetics is because 64% of the church agrees that we should be evangelizing, but only 19% of the church is doing it. And that's a big number. So we're aiming at that crowd who goes, yes, we should be, but no, we're not. And, okay, how do we help this group then? And one of the things we do help in the modern conversation is listen for the chance to Enter a spiritual conversation And guide it Like I did with the soccer thing And one of the things That happens is If anybody talks about Anything that should Or should not happen Is a moral imperative And that moral imperative Can't just be linked to One person Or society again And you can kind of Go in there And just start asking questions well, Why should it be that way? What are you, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. There's a should well, Where's that coming from? And then they might just tie it well. You know that's just how things should be. That's just how. Okay, okay, I hear you, but based on what? And you can just continue, and they'll have to finally hit where that foundation comes from, whether it's just their personal opinion, or there's some greater design involved. That and so, just listening for opportunities that are related, and then guide the question, guide the guide the conversation with questions. Be be a a student of whatever their position is until you can interact with it.
0: So recently I've been thinking about um, how real um, just the moral, morality is, but not just morality, but I've been thinking just as real as like the things we can examine with our senses in the world, if we think about it, moral truth it's just as real as anything. Um, our desire for something, like our you know, and that people fill it with all kinds of things. And then also beauty, which is kind of similar to morality, that there's really beauty and there's really things that are ugly and and it's not just what's going on in our head. And I've I've thought as I've been considering this, I've thought if this is just in our heads and it's only us the more the morality if it's all just us it doesn't seem meaningful but if it's rooted in who god is it seems meaningful and i can't i don't have that worked out like just what makes that meaningful if it's in god and not in us it just it's just kind of seems like obvious to me but that's not enough i think for it just to be obvious to me i kind of it's difficult to to articulate yeah but um well anyway.
1: arti- not no. articulate, but to marry it to why why is, if it's in God, it's foundational, and if it's just yeah. in us' it's, it's loose, right, yeah, and those three things are all related to design arguments, huh. moral argument is related to even though it stands on its own and is its own argument i still I would argue that it's also it's in the framework of design, so is beauty because there's certain stuff that is, and stuff that is, isn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just like music. Music's a, a design thing, too. They're, uh, they're, we discovered the scale.
0: Hmm.
1: We discovered morality. Mm-hmm. We discovered, uh, what was the last one you talked about? Uh, what,
0: well, there's desire.
1: Yeah, desire. Even that. And, and that goes back to C.S. Lewis, too. C.S. Lewis said, I'm thirsty. There's a solution. I'm hungry. There's a yeah. solution. I have a desire to live for eternity. Might there be also a solution? Why does that exist? If there's not a solution for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's other things that turn him towards this way of thinking. But to what you're
0: saying. Or just a desire for like that heavenly fatherly yeah, love.
1: Yeah, and everything in between. Right, right, right. Yeah. right yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but good clarification. Uh. I just I just said that because that's what he would say. Right. That's what that that's actually one of his lines. If I you know, it, yeah. and he did it in a long version. I'm sure he covered the love of another person in all that to build up. But uh, why Is it matter? It's because uh, if everything is grounded in this eternal being, he's the creator of everything. Okay. If we just take it from that basis, I'm just here. I'm right in space. I don't can't control what my body's even gonna do most of the time. Most of it I don't control. It's it's on its it's on you know autopilot, right? It's healing itself, it's moving nutrients around. I, I didn't create it, I just have one. But if it's so I'm trying to address what you're saying. So I I'm very uh it's it's arbitrary. I'm I'm a contingent being, right? But There's contingent and then there's necessary to get very philosophical. And he created everything. If he created everything, he owns everything. He is the person who's like, this is what this is for. This is what this is for. This is what this is for. And again, with morality, with beauty, with desire that. Can be in from he also has desires he 's got desire for his will to be fulfilled, and his will also is corresponding to the moral goodness of everything because moral goodness is a design it 's good, good for what something's always good for something or not good for something there's the design in the goodness, and he 's like, these are all good designs, these are good plans, these are good desires. This is a a good thing that I've said That you can say, oh, that's not good And that is good in beauty Why is it? That's because I've created it that way And I've given you uh, receptors To understand the same thing I understand about it But you you uh, you can do bad things to it You can sear your judgment Your moral judgment Your judgment on beauty You can sear it And I'll allow you to I'll allow you to mess it up But there's a standard I created it to be that way and it being grounded in the eternal being who created it all gives it that backing to go. And it, it might just be as simple as that. He did make it. He designed it to be that way. That's why it's good. I didn't. I've discovered it. But my discovery is not enough to sustain it.
0: Okay. So maybe it, it's meaningful because God in and of himself is so meaningful and huge and infinite and it's that connection to him, perhaps, rather than just loose on our own, then it just seems like, well, what does it mean? It doesn't mean much. Yeah. Not, not, it's not nothing no bigger than me, you know, right. any bigger than me. but
1: Because it's grounded in him. Mm-hmm. I think lots of things are grounded in him that we don't even think about. We can say moral, moral thing, but also truth, the understanding of reality, how things work, that our minds can conceptualize them and... and and it actually corresponds to how reality works. He designed that too. That rests in him. And you're like, well, I can't own that. Like, no, no, you can't own it. But you can discover it mm-hmm. and then start to figure out where it came from. Just like the morality and the beauty. It's, it's our own particular... And sometimes we can vary on our degrees of, of what we think is beautiful, what, what's beautiful music, what's not. But then I think that comes to our you know own personal development of our tools to receive what God has has laid down and some people just not going to develop their receptors as much as others when it comes to that stuff
0: i have another friend he's going to be a guest on the podcast coming up here in a few weeks but so he's got a christian background but um one of he's not a, cr- a christian now and um i was asking him about this And he talked about like, just going out into nature and just looking at everything and just kind of trying to put himself into the place like, if this is all I knew, like I was just, bam, just bam, right in the world right now, and I'm just looking around, would I think there was a God? And he's trying to, I think, be careful of not being influenced by, you know, like, tradition and stories and just Mm -hmm. like what seems obvious to me that's what what seems to be important to him and i've thought about that too you know i've kind of have thought you know if i was just dropped into the world right now i just look at the trees the clouds the, the birds um would it be just totally obvious to me that there's a god behind all of that or would it just be just the things that i'm sensing and so forth and it wouldn't go any further than that And it's kind of like, you know, I'm not sure um, if you take away all history, all tradition, everything else, but that might be a mistake taking away. Maybe God has spoken to us in history and so forth. But anyway, do you have any thoughts about um, that? Because um, I can see how, um, for him anyway, it seems this is important. What's obvious to me if I was just, bam, right here and all I can go on is what's around me and what my senses are picking up and so forth
1: I think I understand the question I think there's two answers I would give uh, and one's from experience and one's from, from the Bible so from experience I meet lots of people who cannot articulate their reasons for believing in God except to say what you've just said look around man Look, Mm -hmm. this stuff just can't happen on it. Just, just look, and then that's all I give. They just say, Mm -hmm. "Yeah, I I look at the world, and I think they're just talking about nature. They're not talking about history. They're not talking about. They're like, look at the birds, look at the trees. Look, you go out here. There's, you know, if we were to investigate this leaf system a little bit more, look at the design. Look, it's designed to move energy and and nutrients to itself. The only thing that does, the only thing that builds in this universe." And doesn't deteriorate our living things. Everything else in the universe is decomposing and going backwards. There's no, there's no building to a more complex system. It's all subject to the second law of thermodynamics. Except life. Life is the only thing that goes, hey, I'm going to make something new. Build it up. Even though it might be just going off the DNA of something old. But still, the first life said, you know what? We're going to do something different. We're going to build. We're not going to... Suffer the second law of thermodynamics And they wouldn't say it like that But they're just saying Look And the other thing I would pull from Would be what the Bible says in Psalm 19 If you're familiar with that Yeah The the heavens declare the glory There's no language in where it's not spoken it's, It goes out every day It pours forth every day There's no language where it's not spoken So I think that was on purpose And then there's Romans one that we call general revelation that all these people who don't believe in God are without excuse because God has made it known that he exists through what he's created. And
0: okay, just to, by the way, on Romans 1, so I've heard people refer to that before, but in Romans 1, it almost seems like God is a given assumed for all these people, but it's, met, it's more of a matter like Is God some a God of eternal power and divine nature that you can't form into like this little idol of a creaturely thing to represent Him, or is He someone like? Are you can you discard that, suppress it, the truth, and so forth, and like okay, we'll carve a creature and we'll bow down to it and we'll say this represents what God is, you know? So to me, it seems like it's a matter of idolatry compared. Compared to like worshiping the true God rather than like, is there a God or is there not a God? Anyway,
1: right, I see what you're saying, and uh, the I don't think it well, I yeah, a little bit of both goes on because I've read it, I've read it so much, like, it's like my number one thing to those two things to to because some people. Some Christians just want to be like, well, if you don't give a Bible verse and you don't talk about Jesus, you haven't done anything relevant. And I'm like, mm, nineteen, Psalm 19 and Revelation 1, I mean, Romans 1 would disagree with you. Something relevant is going on if you just continue to elaborate on the general revelation that there is a God. There's a, there's a dent and a, a price to be paid for ignoring that. But so I, now that I'm recalling it, yes, because people... So, I think it's doing both things. It is very clear that they are without excuse to understand that there's a creator. And they're also, they have to suppress the truth to make it into an idol, to create worshipped things, or created things, rather than the creator. So, that that theme is still there. I'm a creator God. You should know that. To do anything else with, with, with me, or with this idea of a creator God... You've got to suppress the truth that I've revealed for you to do that. To ignore me or to make an idol out of me, you just have to ignore all the evidence.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Is that, is that fair?
0: Kind of. Um, I don't necessarily see if I like, if I see. I would, I
1: would, like, to read, I would like to read the passage okay. so <laughs> we could pull it out. And then that would be, because uh, that's, I, I find either I can understand what you're. Point two, because I was like, eh, I'm not gonna agree with that until I realized, oh yeah, they do worship created things rather than creator at the end of the the passage. So I'm like, I can see where you're going with it, right? But it seems to be clear before that, or it's one eighteen. Sorry, that's okay. So uh, let me see where he gets into it. Normally, it's eighteen is where I start. I'm going to jump past the two most important verses, 16 and 17. (laughs) The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. This is Romans 118 for the pod Mm -hmm. pod listeners. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Mm -hmm. So it's a choice. Right.
0: Since. But it doesn't say some. So far, it's not defining what truth is. Since,
1: and I think this is where it's defining, since what may be known about God is plain to them,
0: because God has made it plain to them. Okay, what may be known about God? What did I say? About God, yeah. Yeah, I'm just kind of emphasizing that that's the thing that's being suppressed, like what God is like, what can be known about Him.
1: Yeah, plain to them. Okay, for since... For since the creation, and I think now he's saying why, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse.
0: Okay, and that's talking about what God is like. He's a God of eternal power and divine nature, so they're, they're without excuse about what God is like. I'm just kind of defining how I'm understanding it so good, far. Good, good, okay. yes.
1: Uh, for all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So that's the path. Once they did the first thing, uh-huh. now it gets worse. Now right. there's a consequence to their actions. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and ex- exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals
0: and reptiles. And that gets to what they did and what the problem is. There's the glory of the immortal God, and then there's like um, these creaturely things that God can't be encapsulated into.
1: All right, and I think they're related by this stance. We, when we make a decision, when we make a move in our hearts, there's consequences, and God uses those consequences. It says now, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Once we, we don't know how far that slippery slope goes. Most people, like, like an addict who was free to drink alcohol or not drink alcohol at some point in his life. Now these people, I think, suffer from the same type of things. They, they've gone down this path. Now they're darkened. Can you stop drinking now? I can't stop drinking now. Yeah. Aren't you a free person? I, the truthful answer, I was free. Now I've changed myself to this. And now... I've got a real problem. I think the what I think this is saying is the the creation of the idols came after as a consequence of their first suppression. So it's not a judgment that's like, oh, he's judging them because they're doing this. They suppressed it first and then came up with whatever. And then they were on that same destructive, addictive path. Now they're going to get lost and stuck into that. And it says that same thing later in Romans where it says, uh, they said, uh, okay, therefore, right after that, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. So there's this point where God just says, that's where you want to go? I'm going to let you go as far as it. You don't understand. When, when Jesus says sin is bondage, and the, I think he's true. He's like, I'm going, to let, I'm going to let the bonds take you then. You want you that
0: your choice, and now you're going to be drugged
1: off by him, and it just gets worse.
0: So, yeah, I, so I can see how suppressing the truth leads to this. Listen, But was that suppression of the truth that there is no God? Or it's like, no, let's suppress what God is like. And let's make God a little more like what we are like, oh, or something along good. those lines. That's good. You know?
1: That's a good question. That's because
0: uh... I think we we're assuming it because we're in the secular culture of atheist. I don't think most of human history was like that. You know, I think people just assumed there was a God, and they had their various views of God and so forth.
1: Right. Okay. So, hmm. Yeah, and I would have to go understanding what I know from the study and that yeah, there's there's been most of the world has been very religious for a long time. Mm-hmm. Monotheism was the first religion. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it scattered from there, even though some anthropologists will try to tell the story backwards that it, would, it arrived all weird first and then monotheism was one of the last things that happened. But if you, so there's a battle going on there, but I believe our guys are like, no, we got the goods. Monotheism was the first, and then it got weird from there, which would be like in line with the biblical understanding of things. Yeah. But, yeah, I always talk about this. Yeah, that's a good distinction, because I always think that they're suppressing the truth that there is a God, but they're suppressing the truth of his qualities.
0: Anyway, just something to think about. No, that's pretty good, though. Well, let's talk about Engage 360, what are you aiming for? What are you doing? How can people know more about that? What do they need to know? Um, is it something for them to get involved with with the ministry itself or to use it or you know, is there resources there? Just whatever you want to say about that?
1: All right. What so I was just focused on E360 and then and then the part I'm playing after that. So E3 People can learn about more about it by going to www.e360m.org, e360m.org. And from there, it talks about, you know, it tells the... Like similar web web page, you know what we're about, what we're doing. There is a, there is an interactive uh, piece. If you send in the email, that you can go through the first uh, online session. It's basically the first. We have six sessions that we move people through in uh, in our in our goal of training to get people to have more spiritual conversations. And you'd be able to go through the first session online by just uh, plugging in exchanging the email and uh you'd be able to go through that yourself but it concentrates on uh you know uh, everything that everything that you would think that is in your way from where you are now to engaging in spiritual conversations with anyone you would choose a friend neighbor coworker anything that's standing in between you doing that who you are now and doing that we would cover even to the point of just understanding the first chapter is you don't have to be scared. It's not all about you. You know, we know you're going to be scared. You're not bold to do it. You're you're scared that people will be mad at you. You you might say the wrong thing. You might offend someone. You might lose friends. Uh, I I don't know exactly how to 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 go about it. That's all covered in the first session. Just going okay. Calm down. God's in it. This is His plan, not yours. He's the one who designed how we're going to. Uh, People are going to be saved. How can people be saved if they haven't heard? How can they not hear unless people are sent out? It's it's his plan, and we're just trying to execute it. So we hold their hand, take them through that, and they're like, okay, all right. It's not about me. And then, that stuff that I think a lot of gospel tracks, and this is not a gospel track. is very catered to the individuals that we're going to talk to. They just don't even take that into consideration. Or we're supposed to go and be bold for Christ. You're like, yeah, but these people got a lot of stuff bent, you know, hyped up in them about, you know, just natural course of events. And so we would cover that, and then and then it moves people through. What's the next step? Well, what what's what's the gospel about? What's in the gospel? And then you know, and we finally get to the resurrection. Uh, so that's and we're trying to do that on a. On a we will serve any church. is passionate about doing it we are trying to put our funding separate from our service so we're trying to get funded uh anyone on the core team and staff funded funding is from our support teams so if a church gives us a call and tells us how much they want to do that we can go in and deliver that training to that church without having to count on them uh uh, making a large donation to us, or, 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 or charging a fee that would cover everything involved in servicing that church. So we're trying to connect, disconnect two things, and eventually we're going to get to the point where it's not going to be about us. We want to be able to train trainers. The core team is going to find volunteers in a church or an area, bring them together. And provide this training, coach them up on it, then send them back out into their church and start this evangelism training that, that we hope never stops. Because every time we get new believers in, these people are also going to have to you know, get on board with the same mission and have the same confidence and skills to go out and, and grow their church. So Matt says it all the time. He said, our success doesn't depend on how big we get. It depends on if these churches are out there engaging and and bringing people into the church using what we're providing for them.
0: Okay. Well, sounds good. Um, so just something about my experience is when I've tried to do things like intentionally, like going out and like used to, there was, are you familiar with evangelism explosion? Yes. Okay. So it was like, so that's not the same thing as what no, no. you're doing. We
1: somebody I only know it because in one of the interviews Matt did with uh, on on YouTube, there's there's a, uh, like a 20 minute interview when I first engaged them. I wanted to see what all this was about. Someone was like, "So this is like evangelism explosion with an apologetic backing on the resurrection, you know, and then also more apologetic help after that if if need be." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's a good. That was yeah. We we have a." A foundation of apologetics undergirded to that that end because we just we know the conversation is not going to just be one dimensional and I got to Jesus and I got an answer and then I'm out I think right. before I read there's like 25 conversations that a person typically has before they come to know yeah. Jesus. I can't remember where I read that, but as a person who has conversations all the time and is tired of getting kicked in the teeth, it was very encouraging to go, oh, a person has 25. Okay, I've only had five. That's good. That's good. I'll feel better about that.
0: Right. But anyway, I was bringing that up because in a similar way, uh, it seems like it's about getting equipped, You know, knowing what to say, and then going out intentionally to present this, to talk to people, with the hopes that they come into the faith. But when I've done that, and it could be just me, this could work wonderfully with other people, but it it, it almost felt like I was using people. Like I would pick someone out, like they're my target. I'm going to invite them over and I'm going to make sure I get all this content out to them. Whereas now, I'm interested in apologetics, but mainly for my own sake. I just find it interesting and i want to learn i want to know um and then when i'm with people it gives just being as honest as possible gives me boldness or it's just like well this is what i think this is what i i don't think i i might know this and and jesus comes up just because that's what i'm about and i want it right right and um and we get into the and more happens now yeah like You know,
1: no, oh, no, no. I don't want to cut you off I'm like I'm excited about like talking about three things that are in my
0: mind, but I want to make sure you're finished with your your thought there. Yeah, it's just that um, I try to keep these things in mind: just honesty and love, and you know, just and that's a way to go forward. And I'm not trying to convince anybody or do anything. I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can and care about them. And conversations happen, and um, and I, it, it, for me, it seems better than the approach I had years ago when it was like equipping right. myself, learning, and then going out, and then. Targeting someone and you know letting we, them happen.
1: We, we cover we cut now. You remind me of other things in the book. We cover that in the book too. Like people mm-hmm. don't want to be a project. Right. Nobody wants to be a project. Right. Uh, you also there's it's uh, reminding me of other things. We talk about Christianese. Like you're using things that mm-hmm. you understand. These right. people don't have a context. Like all these no nos. Like that's one section on 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 there in the book is like what the gospel is not. And, and part of what the gospel is not is, you know, it, and, and all of the things that we should not be doing are kind of in that session where it's, it's talking to exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you're reminding me also of a book that I like to give people about apologetics or encourage them to read. It's called, uh, called Confident Faith. And mm-hmm. I think it goes to exactly what you're saying. Apologetics is a way to become emboldened in your faith. Uh, it's really a book on epistemology and it gives a it gives it is the most story based way of making an argument for apologetics that's so light because it talks about six faith paths and you basically get to identify which path you've come to Christ on was it the authoritarian path the relativistic path the the traditional path the the mystic path and it talks about all these it tells a nice story you get to question oh this is my chapter except you can imagine how the chapter is going to go. It's going to talk about and expose and talk about how these are good things uh, to a point. and then, But then when, the, when you really need to know what's true or not true, you end up, every, each one of these ends up in a philosophical, evidential path. Because you're like, how do you ch- Even a, a person who has oh, great intuition, your intuition always usually p- proved true by regular, normally normal, observatory, uh, uh, Philosophical evidence Oh I knew that was a false I knew it I had something in me Well you didn't know It was false a Portrait until it was Tested actually And verified mm-hmm. You might have had A warning light going off But that's not going to Get you to the The right answer It might help you In some way But it doesn't get you To the right It's So it It, it goes through that Then there's another book That I also like It's called Relational Apologetics And it talks about How you're going to be In this process Holy Humble Honest and, and it just really talks about who, who you need to be in this process, which is part of the introductory thing we're working on later. But back to what you were saying about yeah, it, it, it helps us be confident, because you can't, when people are like, you can't muster up more belief. Here's how belief works. The only thing you can do to muster up more belief in something is expose yourself to more reasons to believe it or not to believe it, to engage in the evidence. No one, people who choose to believe because, you know, because they're just saying, well, all you got to do is have faith and believe, and then it will happen. You could say that about the Easter Bunny. It's not going to be any more apparent that the Easter Bunny is real. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, you know, what is going to. How am I going to have more faith in Jesus? How am I going to put faith in Jesus? I said the only way is to expose yourself to the claims made of him, and then the evidence that supports those claims. And and it, that's true with anything. Why am I going to believe uh, anything about baptism or the or communion or healing? Well, I have to look and see what the case is, and then compare it with the evidence and go. You know what? I think I think I think there is more. I'm leaning that there is more evidence that this is true than it's not. Now I'm going to choose to believe. That's how your faith uh, is strengthened. So if you have so much faith in Jesus, and like you're finding, you're such more. You're not worried about whether it's true or not anymore. You're like, mm, how can I? How can I? Conversate with this person. Be connected and and uh, you know. See where the conversation go. Lead as much as I can, but see where it's going to go. You're not having a struggle over here, and some people, I think most people, if like like I caught on fire when I knew it was true, based on what I was doing, I didn't have any choice about the rest of my life about which direction it was going to go. I was I was I was heavily into a math degree. I had six classes left. I was going to graduate. I was going to be working as an actuary in insurance companies, hmm. and this caught me, and I was like. Man, I've been studying stewardship for so long with these Money Matters and Larry Paquette. I'm like, I am no longer in charge of my life. Because I'm actually, I thought i was like, I'm actually decent at this stuff. I understand it. I like it. And now I'm like, oh, does that mean I got to change my life? Do I got to? And I did. I started riding off to Apologetic Ministries and asked them what they thought about changing gears. And I remember R.C. Sproul Ministries wrote back and said, finish your degree with as much philosophy and that you can finish your four-year degree and then go get a master's degree in apologetics that's the way you should regear I was like okay seems like what I'll be doing and then at the time nobody was hiring apologists to do anything they even told us your degree you're just going to it's going to be for your self-knowledge and your church because no one's hiring you to do anything
0: where where did you get your degree at uh, biola university okay you know you're speaking of faith and like there seems to be something like essential in faith like just a, a rock because like sometimes when i just go out there and look at the evidence i kind of think well this is not quite as strong as what i thought like this reason for believing and sometimes this falls away and that falls away and but it it seems like there's something solid like okay a lot of stuff can fall away but I'm still holding on to something, or someone's holding on to me that seems like it's unshakable. Um, but I, I think it's good to um, examine objections and to get out there and and find reasons for believing. But it could be that you know th- some things don't hold up that you thought would hold up, and so forth. But um, for me, it kind of brings. I think it makes my faith stronger in a different way, not by having necessarily like building up all of these reasons for believing, but more of like understanding just the essential nature of it. Uh, that there's um, no matter what, this is a a living faith, I guess, or something along those lines. I'm not sure. Yeah, right.
1: there's more. Yeah, there's more to it. I think, and and sometimes it is. Like I remember someone saying, I said, "Why do you believe something?" And just a very straightforward answer from one of our philosopher teachers j P. Morland, I think he said he said, "You believe something because you're fifty one percent more sure that it's true than it's not true. That's why you believe something anyway, I guess that's right, so to that ends, when I'm studying other stuff, I don't think I can go anywhere because the alternatives The alternatives to solutions like there is no God, the morality problem, the mind problem. There's so many people who are unbelievers who are like, this is a problem for our view. Somebody solve it. And I'm like, there's some things there is no solution for. There's not going to be a mind-body solution that doesn't involve spirit. And that spirit, we can't come up with this on this earth. And people, I think it was Thomas Nagel who wrote a book basically criticizing the the materialist version of the dual body mind concept he's like it's not gonna work it's not gonna work i don't like i don't like the theistic solutions but our stuff's not working i hope there's some medium that can come in between which there's not but he's he's like it's not working and so i have enough of those things that are built up where i'm locked in and you're right there are some things where i'm like it's not as good as i would thought it would be but I already know this stuff is horrible, that 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 it cannot support what I already firmly firmly believe. So, you know, we have to find another answer. But
0: fifty one percent,
1: yeah, fifty one percent. But sometimes you don't away. make decisions based on that because some. I've talked to people who are like, Eddie, I, I don't want to do anything that doesn't that I'm not completely certain of, and I'm like, bull. You got married. You go to work. You're driving a car. Yeah. People could not pay you. You could be in an accident. You're just more sure than not sure that horrible things are not going to happen to you as you walk out that door. Because if you just wanted to live on absolute certainty, you wouldn't do anything. Right. You would be <laughs> just like, like the people who, who it, are suffering from the pandemic. I want to be absolutely certain I'm not going to get it. Well, you're just going to have to stay home and cut your off stuff from the world. Right.
0: Just sit in the chair for the yeah. rest of your life. Yeah.
1: And so I call them out on that. And that's when those percentages come in. You're just more sure than not sure. So let's not pretend you need the absolute certainty of God coming into your... But even then, people have talked themselves out of... Uh, there was a, there was a, there was a famous, uh, famous... It was in the papers that there, there was two guys in a hole. Something happened, it's like coal miners or something. And basically, the story is one was ministered to by an angel the other time, and the other one was terrified out of his mind and sat in the corner,, wow. and, and never talked about it again. Yeah. And it's like we can do so, we can suppress ourselves, you know, and so so believe, and, and that doesn't mean you're going to act on it. so that fifty one percent would be, maybe that's my opinion, and maybe a sixty percent is my informed opinion. But as an apologist, I have a lot of stuff in the '90s where I'm like. I'm pretty certain that I would argue that, even on stage, even as silly as I look, I would argue Jesus is a person. Jesus was a person, or is a person, was an actual human being in history, and the Easter Bunny is not real. But some people would think I'm arguing the Easter Bunny to get up on stage, but I'm like, that's okay. They just don't know what I know.
0: (laughs) I guess that makes sense, like, um, the percentage, like, yeah, you know, Easter Bunny, Jesus. But, uh, you know, when it comes to, like, the big questions of life, God, not God, Christianity, something else. It, like I have so little confidence in just my ability to objectively weigh everything, because things feel pretty subjective to me to weigh everything. And even if I could weigh things and know, well, this is 51% compared to 49%. Like I'm just limited in what I know. There's a world of information that I'll never know. <laughs> so right. anyway, it seems like, it just- and
1: that, yeah, he was just saying that because you know it was making it plain for us students. But you're right. If you're at fifty-one percent, you're like in your entire future staked on this. I'm like, well, I'm not ready to make a decision yet. I would like to do some more investigation. Thank you very much. I'd like to get a second, third, fourth opinion. I'd yeah. like to be that percentage way. And 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 what I'm saying is the only way to move that 51, 49% meter is to expose yourself to more relevant claims and evidence. And when you do that, you can put together a better picture. Yeah, you're right. A lot of stuff is subjective. It is hard. Like, it's it's hard to talk to people. It's hard to, you know, what I'm finding, I used to find there's like five conversations going on when I'm talking to a person, really. Mm -hmm. There's what I'm saying and what I think I'm really saying. There's what their interpretation of it then there's what they're saying and they think they're saying There's what i i my interpretation of it and then how much is actually going back and forth Mm -hmm. is this person even listening to you know i think what's in the middle is all the words that are coming out and i'm like here's what i've understood i've been going to school i mean i've been doing this for wow long time now 18 years I'm very articulate and deep in all my views and opinions about a lot of stuff, and I know where I'm loose. Most people couldn't put together a case for why they believe what they believe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and because they haven't studied it, they haven't done it, and I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians. So right. part of my job is going, oh man, i got to listen for a long time, and sort out where they are. Normally, I've, I'm, since I've studied the map of philosophical and religious worldviews, I can hear enough to go, oh... The, they live in Hinduism. Okay, what part of it? Okay, this this version, pantheistic. No, nope, panentheism. Okay, okay, all right, all right. But but they're not. Oh, they're switching over here. Now they have a morality value over here. Okay, that doesn't coincide. I'll have to ask them about that later, and I can do that. But I gotta listen because they, the reason why they're holding things that don't coincide because they haven't thought it through and go, oh, I need to get rid of one of these. I have to jettison one, mm-hmm. or change my view. So it's. When when you say that part that most people can't come to, uh, uh, they could they couldn't give a, a what do they call it? a rational case for why they believe what they believe. It's right. just picking it apart. So if I come by and I chop off a bunch because I'm good at it, that doesn't change their view because they didn't they don't realize how connected or not connected whatever I just. They're, they're still sitting on the limb of the tree that I just cut down because mm-hmm. they know no better. You didn't cut that tree. I'm, this limb is still right here. What are you talking about? I, yeah, I, don't, right. I don't see the connection. And so you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much more going on. I, I have to help them learn their view. Right. Or, or I, I felt like that with a Muslim when I'm like, do I need to tell him what Muslims think in order to help him become a Christian or just let him loosely hold to this weird version of Islam that he's talking about? Hmm. I don't know what to do because he thinks we're the same but I know we're not the same and other Muslims would kill him if he said we were the same so yeah. uh, it's 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 just for being familiar enough to go oh man I can take it way slower than than because just helping them put together their view is part of you know or seeing where hmm how do these two things go together and that's just about listening and having conversations which it's it's Way less stressful. But well, then you will meet the people. I think we end up meeting the people who are ready to have thought through their view and are ready to chop yours up. And I think it's like uh, – oh, I was going to say this. It's like a, a jet fighter. If you were trying to nail it and it takes off and then throws out flares, a lot of people you're speaking with are just throwing off flares. They don't even know how related to whatever they're – they're just throwing them out there because to them those are good reasons. And if you knock them all out of the air, you don't seem to change anything because well, – they haven't thought through what their real reasons are. These are just a bunch of stuff that they've gathered and sound good. Oh, you've, you've, you've defeated all of them? Still, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to choose to believe what I believe. And that's us not listening to go, okay, they just told me a bunch of irrelevant, irrelevant stuff. I have to listen way longer and way deeper to go, what is the heart that keeps them? There, I think there's a choice that's primary to their thinking, and it may be what we just started on. Something has hurt them in the church— or an idea about God has hurt them, and that is central to the rest of their choices. Mm-hmm. And then so to address that it takes a lot more sensitivity, and it's not going to probably come out of a textbook automatically.
0: So just to close up, um, what about yourself? How can people be connected to you? Um, so you're you're trying to raise money for this yeah, position. I, I thought I was
1: going to go into it. We ended up changing time. <laughs> Uh, That's okay.
0: Yeah, so right now
1: I've joined the team of E360. I'm going to be a core team member. I'm going to be helping uh, train trainers, put together uh, more curriculum, more material for – what we're doing now but also follow-up material for you know once we get started people are already asking that have been engaged with us well what's the follow-up sections what are we doing after this this is good what's what's next so we're going to develop that create that uh there may be a point where i'm helping other staff fundraise i might be fundraising for the ministry in general on a bigger scale once uh I've completed. So right now, my central job right now is to get to 100% funding so I can go and do all these tasks that I've just mentioned. So uh, they gave me options to do some part-time work, do some part-time fundraising. And I found that you know through other fundraising coaches that if you get to 100% ministry first, you can stop worrying about that and then go do your real job and uh, and address the fundraising as it comes up as you lose supporters so people can contact me at ed.bowen at e360m.org that's my email to find out how they might uh, learn more about e360 or or my goals my ministry vision and financial goals and how they might be able to assist me in either donating praying for connecting me to a network of people who are looking to donate to ministries who are all
0: about evangelism ed.bowen b-o-w-e-n at 360.org e360m.org E360M.org. Got it. Right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ed. I re- really appreciate the conversation. It's been really good. Thank you, Will. I appreciate the time.